He is faithful. There are many days when we are not faithful, when our faith fails, but He is ever and always faithful. I want you to take God's Word with me again, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We continue looking at God's Word in this command and exhortation to stand against the wiles of the devil. And I remind you, as we spoke a moment ago with the children, that we are in a battle and it is fierce. It is fierce. Each day, Satan is on the attack, on the prowl. Last week, if you remember, we looked at having our loins girt about with truth. And uh, that piece of armor was critical and necessary because by it, All the rest of the armor is united and held together. But we move on to the next. The next piece of armor. By the way, it is the armor of God. It isn't yours that you picked up at the local Tesco. It isn't yours that you fabricated it in your own spare time in your garden shed. It's His. And if it's not His, it's not going to work. Because the fight that we have is not with the people in this tent or the people outside of this tent. It's not with people at all. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The battle that we have, the fight that we are in is a spiritual one. And if you fail to see that, then you will fail to have victory. Our enemy is not physical. And therefore, we cannot use physical weaponry or physical armory. It will never work if you do. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. If you're struggling today to get the victory in a particular area in your life, it might be because you're using the wrong weapons. might be because you're using the wrong tools. If I were to pick up my drill and use the back end of my drill to try to hammer in a nail, well, I might get it in there eventually, but I would be a whole lot more effective if I used a hammer. And so it is in this Christian walk in life. We've been given particular weapons And pieces of armor that will help us if we use them and use them appropriately. We have what we need. The interesting thing that we're looking at today is the next part of our armory. The next part of our armor, the scriptures tell us in verse number 14. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. The next piece of armor today is the breastplate of righteousness. I want you to listen as best as you can today. The breastplate of righteousness. Let's talk about a breastplate. The Greek word is literally thorax. And that refers to that that area, the bottom, the base of your neck, down to your loins. Uh, We need no real explanation for what a breastplate is. We know what it's for. It is to protect all of our vital organs. Now, it's something that we sometimes overlook when thinking about this. 
We all understand that if we are struck in this region of the body with a sword, then it is more than likely going to be fatal. More than likely going to be a deadly blow. Therefore, we understand that this is a targeted area in battle. Heart, lungs, liver, intestines, and so on. It has always been an area of target. The enemy is going for your vital organs. He wants to kill you. That's why throughout the ages, there has always been this putting on of a breastplate. Even today, our police officers still wear a ballistic vest or a bulletproof vest because they recognize that if this is not protected, they're more than likely going to die. So what is Paul teaching us today when we think about this breastplate of righteousness? Well, I think he tells us, number one, that we have an enemy that wants to kill us. Can I just say for a moment, would you look here? If you don't recognize that there's an enemy that is not playing games, who wants to destroy you, then your head is in the sand. And not only does the enemy want to kill us, he's coming after your vital organs. And that's why we need protection. Now that first piece of armor, that belt of truth, is foundational, essential. But this piece of armor, this breastplate, tells us the need and speaks of the seriousness of the fight that we're in. You could see somebody walking around with a girdle and not really think too much about it. But if you see somebody walking around with a breastplate, you know he's, he's going to war. You see a man with a bulletproof vest on, you know that fella, his line of duty is either military or some sort of armed forces. He's constantly in war and in battle. And so it is that this first, the second piece of armor, the breastplate, speaks volumes of the battle and the fight that you are in and the seriousness of it. Do you know what I mean if I were to say today that the majority of professing Christians are just playing Christianity? They're just playing games? Do you know what I mean? If, if it makes you happy to go to a meeting once a week and you think that ticks the box of Christianity, my friend, you're playing games. If you have reduced Christianity to attending a meeting once or twice a week and maybe even reading a chapter a day and you've ticked off the box, if that's what you think it is, you've missed it. You've missed it. You and I have got to recognize that we are not in a game, we're in a war. Satan wants to not just hurt us, he wants to kill us. And if you don't realize this and cover up, it is just a matter of time before you are destroyed. 1 Peter 5.8 talks about Satan walking about as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may, what's the next word? Devour. Satan wants to devour you. He doesn't want to have a conversation with you. Satan's not interested in having a conversation with you and playing mental games. He wants to devour you. He's not playing chess with you. He wants to destroy you. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. He wants you. But he may sift you as wheat. 
Would you look here? Do you know why Satan wants you? Satan wants to get you in his hands and bring you through a series of activities and events and mind games and thoughts to which he is able to begin to remove everything good out of your life. Your faith, your confidence in God, your steadfastness, your peace. That past, he wants to rob you of your peace, your joy. He wants to remove everything good. That's what it means to sift you and leave you with nothing but the rubbish. That's what he's doing. And if you're not careful, you'll think it's God doing that to you. And you'll blame God for it. God, why are you letting this happen to me? If you're not careful. But it is Satan who wishes to destroy you. God does not wish to destroy you. God wishes to build you, to make you, to change you. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus spoke of Satan as being a murderer from the beginning. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why he's come. He's not come to play games. Satan wants your soul. He may attack your body, but he wants your soul. He wants your life. Don't make any mistake about it. You may have attacks of the mind and attacks of the body, and you may think that those things are the subject of which he's attacking. He's after my mind. He's, he's after my health. And you'd get, you'd get it all wrong. Do you remember when Peter was in the garden of Gethsemane the night before the Lord Jesus was arrested? Do you remember that? And here come the Roman soldiers and Peter took out his sword and he chopped off Malchus's ear. Do you remember that? Was Peter looking to cut off the man's ear? Is that all he was doing? Stand there, I'm going to get your ear, buddy. No, he's going for his head. And sometimes when we get a little bit of an attack from Satan, we think that's the reason he's after us, but you've missed it. He's not after your health and he's not after uh, getting you confused in your mind. He's after your soul. He's after your very heart. Don't think of an illness or a bodily infirmity or some other attack. Don't think of that as the subject of the attack. Don't think about a family problem or a financial crisis as being the center of attack. He's aiming deeper. He can't get to your heart unless he first goes through your flesh in your ribcage. He's after your heart, your vital organs. And if you don't have on the breastplate of righteousness, you're in serious trouble. Let's talk for a moment. What vital organs is it that Satan is aiming for? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, I'm sure is a verse that you are familiar with, but let me read it for you. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. Literally, keep thy heart with all diligence. Above all keeping, guard your heart. That's what the word keep is referring to. A, a castle would have a castle keep. It's the most strongest guarded place. Guard your heart above all other guarding. Because out of it come the issues of life. Some of you guard your pocket more than you guard your heart. You guard your bank account more than you guard your heart. You guard your family more than you guard your heart. You guard your mind, which is good, but 
more than you guard your heart. He's after your heart. The heart is known as the seat of affections. That's where all of your emotions and affections bubble from. And by the way, that governs the rest of your activity, doesn't it? It controls the rest of your behavior. For instance, if I can make you angry, if I can upset you and I can watch the color begin to go from pale, or maybe tan, to red, if I can watch the red rising up your neck, flushing into your cheeks, so that your head looks like it's about to burst, then chances are I've got a pretty good hold on your behavior as well. Satan knows that. The heart is a seat of affection. He's playing games with your emotions and your affections. Proverbs 22 and verse number 5, Solomon says this, Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. Guard your soul. Satan has put, he's not just firing darts at you, but Satan has put a load of traps out for you, snares to try to catch you in life. Let me tell you, Satan knows what he's doing. We think the only time we wrestle with Satan is when we stand right before some wicked, evil entity. Let me tell you, all through life, the second you wake up, there's a series of snap traps and snares waiting for you. It's like when you put your foot out of bed, there's one a mouse trap waiting to get your toe. That's what Satan's done. He's waiting for you before you ever get out of bed. There's a series of traps and snares. He's after you. So you've got to be on guard. Moses writes in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in verse number 9, only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. Now we get a little bit more understanding of what Satan's trying to do. When a snare is put out, when an attack is waged against you, against your heart, against your vital organs, against your emotions and your affections, what he's trying to do is make you forget all the good that God has done. That's what happens, isn't it? I was talking to a gentleman here recently, and he was saying, I've had a very terrible day. I said, now hold on just a moment. Has it really been that bad? What he meant was he's had a terrible five minutes. But the last five minutes, he allowed the last five minutes to ruin everything good that had happened the previous 23 hours. He's forgotten about the peace that he was experiencing before that. He'd forgotten about the victory that God had given him before that. He'd forgotten about the answers to prayer that God had given before that because Satan had gotten a hold of his heart. The seed of the emotions and affections. And if he can do that and make you forget about all the good, he's gotten in. He's gotten in. Keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. Is there ever a time when you can not guard your heart? Well, my family, we went on holiday just a week or two ago. That was very lovely. So uh, some people have the idea that when you go on holiday, that's the one time you're allowed to live like the devil. It's, it's funny. 
It's not funny. It's, it's shameful. Some people think that when you're on holiday, you no longer have to be a Christian. You're taking a break. That's the stupidest thing. Sorry. But the stupidest thing you could ever do. You could flush a whole lot of good down the drain. All the days of your life. Guard your heart. Keep your soul. We're told in Jeremiah chapter 19. Let me tell you something about your heart. You probably know it already. But in Jeremiah chapter uh, 17, pardon me. Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9. Every once in a while we get the wrong idea about the heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9. We're written, told by the prophet, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's the heart without Christ. The heart that is not in the hands of Christ is deceitful and desperately wicked. Now look here. That's why Satan is going for your heart. It's already, he's already got an ally inside of you. Satan already has a friend inside of you because your heart, naturally speaking, is deceitful above everything and desperately wicked. And Satan is after it. He's trying to pull on that old nature and those old heartstrings because he knows that that's the natural inclination until you've been born again. The condition of the natural heart in the hands of Satan is deceitful. And so the heart has to be protected. It governs our behavior. It has to be protected. Jesus spoke about this in the New Testament. Lest you're tempted to think it's just an Old Testament principle. Jesus, on a couple of occasions, Matthew 12, 35, let me read it for you. Jesus said this, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. He's saying this, whatever's in the heart is going to come out. And then he said in chapter 15 and verse number 19, something very similar, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Those things that come from that seed of emotion and affections. Satan knows that out of the heart proceeds good and evil. So he's working to get your heart. The very seat of it all. The very judicial seat of activity for your life. And your desires and will. It's got to be protected. So what is this breastplate then? What is this breastplate that is required to protect us? The Bible says there that we should take on having taken this breastplate of righteousness. Let me tell you what it's not. Would you look here? The breastplate of righteousness is not your good deeds. Sorry. The breastplate of righteousness is not your righteousness. It's not you being holier than thou. Although it's vital to be holy. And it's vital to uh, do good deeds. We're told that. But that's not the righteousness that protects you. That protects your heart. Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul made that abundantly clear. Do you remember? He said, look, if, if anybody has a... A reason to boast in their self-righteousness. It's me. If any man thinketh that he has something whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. He gives a list of reasons why he could trust in his flesh. But then he says in verse 7, all of those things that were once gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. 
I always get nervous when I hear somebody and they say, you know what? I'm doing really well. I'm really doing well. No, I really am doing, I can't believe how good I'm doing. It should sound something like this. The Lord has sustained me. God has helped me. God is working. I rejoice to see the working hand of God in my life. That's the way it should sound. Not about what you've done and what you're doing. You're wearing the wrong breastplate if that's your conversation. You're wearing the breastplate of self-righteousness, which is like wearing a screen. I can remember when uh, the mask mandates come out, one of our friends came with a, with a screen mask. It was like a, uh, just, you could see right through it. He said, this is a new NASA mask, he said. And of course, we had a good chuckle on it because there was not a mask at all. You could see right through it and, and uh, breathe, breathe right through it. But that's the kind of breastplate some of you are wearing. You can see right through it. It's like a net. You put a net on yourself and you say, look, it's pretty cool. This is more comfortable. It's a lot lighter. And can I tell you, it's deadly. That breastplate of self-righteousness is deadly. What you need, according to the, the word of God, is found in verse number nine. Let's go to verse eight. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And, watch this, be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You know the one thing that will protect you against the, the spear thrust of Satan for your heart is the righteousness of God. Not yours. The righteousness which is of God, we're told. The breastplate you need is not your righteousness, but his. That's further illustrated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. For he hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We need his righteousness to be given, or the old word imputed to us. It's the idea that somebody else's righteousness is attributed to us, and our sin was attributed to Christ. The swapping, the exchange, to have it imputed, it was given. And when we receive his righteousness and he takes our sin, we can shout from the mountains, from the top of the house, from the rooftops, that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to them which are in Christ. Because I'm not standing in my righteousness. Now, if I had on my breastplate of righteousness and I went to battle with Satan, he might say, oh, you think you're good, do you? You think you're doing pretty good, do you? And he begins to pull out his arrows and, and shoot truthfully at the holes in your armor, at the holes in your self-righteousness, at the places where you failed, at the places where you haven't done what you should have done and where you, where you did the things you shouldn't do. But when you put his on, there aren't any holes in the righteousness of God. There are no holes in the righteousness of God that is imputed through Christ. Satan can fire all he wants to at your breastplate, aiming for your heart. But if you bear the righteousness of God, there are no holes. 
he cannot get in because our God is perfect. Our God is complete. Now, how do we get this righteousness? The Bible says in that passage in Philippians 3 verse 9, which is the righteousness which is of God by faith. By faith. We are made right by faith. I'm declared righteous by faith. I'm not going to heaven because I did all the right things. I'm going to heaven because God gave me the righteous account of Jesus and took away my sin. That's why. That's why I get annoyed and people say, oh, look at you. You call yourself a Christian. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a perfect person. I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me. And I believe it by faith. It's been imputed by faith. And watch this. Not only has it been imputed, but it has been imparted in us. God gave us his righteousness legally. Stamped it on your forehead, on your heart. Righteous. Declared to be righteous. Right with God. Because of what Christ has done. But then he began to work that righteousness inside of us. That's the evidence that he stamped it on you. That's the evidence that he declared you righteous is that he began to work it in you. Remember that passage that says uh, this, that for God, uh, it is of him who has will and to do with his good pleasure. God has put that inside of us to will and to do. It is God that worketh in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 6, the apostle Paul says something else that is very, very interesting. He said this. In Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. In the eyes of God, it's not about whether you did this or didn't do that. It's about whether you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus. Now that brings us to another thought in closing. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians that the breastplate, Paul trying to explain this breastplate, speaks about it being a breastplate, chapter 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 8, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Would you look here for a second? Look here. The breastplate of faith and love. You say, well, I thought it was a breastplate of righteousness. It is. The breastplate of righteousness, which is received by faith and demonstrated in love. The breastplate of faith and love. It is God that works in us, both to will and to do with His good pleasure. It is faith that works in us the righteousness that God gave us, and it works by faith out of us. And it's demonstrated by love. That's why somebody said to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all? I've read my Bible. I've gone. I've kept the Sabbath. I've done this. No, no, no. Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because the evidence of the righteousness of God imputed and imparted in you will show up through the love that comes through your life. The love you have for God and the love you have for others. It's demonstrated. This righteousness is displayed and it is worked in the love that comes from you. Every once in a while somebody says, well, uh, we ought to just love one another and that means you you just uh, you tell everybody what they want to hear and you don't say anything about sin. No, that's not love. If you really love somebody, you tell them the truth. One of our dear sisters 
going through a big struggle at work because she confronted one of her co-workers uh, on an issue that was very obviously unchristian. And the co-worker flipped out and said she couldn't believe that uh, she thought God was love and that that's judgmental. And uh, No, no, no. If you really love someone, you want them to be right with God. If you really love someone whom the Lord loveth, he pats on the head. Whom the Lord loveth, he embraces in a big, warm, fuzzy hug. No, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He pruneth that it might bring forth more fruit. He loves us. We ought to love him, and that ought to be displayed. The breastplate of righteousness, the evidence that we have the righteousness of God, which is by faith, is that we live a life of faith demonstrated through love. That protects your heart. That protects your heart against the wicked one. It protects your heart, your emotions, your affections. Because if Satan gets a hold of those emotions and affections and twists and turns and rips and pulls, and you're sunk. You're sunk. But if it's guarded and protected by faith, you recognize no matter how you feel, no matter, no matter what emotion is, is present, you recognize that it is not singularly ruling you, but Christ is ruling you. The righteousness of God is ruling you, that he's working in you by faith to be exercised, exercised in love. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. Satan is after you. He's aiming for the heart. It's protected with this breastplate of the righteousness of God. You're right with God. And then it begins to work itself out. It's an active faith, not a passive faith. Some people think, well, look, armor is defensive. No, it's very offensive. The armor is not just defensive, but it's active. That breastplate of faith and love is active. Not just protecting you. And it ought to be demonstrated in the life that you live. Let's pray. We'll sing our final hymn. Father, we confess unto thee that Oftentimes we walk about very exposed because we do not stand beneath thy righteousness. We do not live walking in the Spirit, but instead of a life of faith, we live a life of flesh. Help us, we pray. We pray, Lord, that we might demonstrate, that it might be evident that that which has been imputed has been imparted and is working out. But it is being lived out every day, every moment. Help us, we pray. Guard. Please help us to guard the heart. Understanding that out of it are the issues of life. We thank thee for giving us all that is needed. Help us to rest beneath the righteousness that has been given unto us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.